Was there a team who had a more frustrating collection of fantasy baseball players than the Yankees in 2021? And what should we make of their outlooks for the upcoming season? We'll be discussing with CBS Sports, Frank Stanfield in today's episode of Fantasy Baseball prospects and more and frank as a yankee fan i imagine a number of these guys were especially disappointing to you last year oh it it was it was crazy to watch man more so as a fan than i would say for fantasy uh i was probably the most invested in john carlos stanton and gary sanchez of their entire roster so one was really good one was not good at all in, in gary sanchez but yeah it was it was incredibly frustrating a team that was really affected by the sticky stuff, or at least we think when it comes to their starting pitchers and just the offense in general, right? Like Stanton and judge, they were both great, but overall their offense was 19th and run scored. They hit 238 with runners in scoring position, 26th in baseball. That's just not going to get it done, especially when you have the names in that lineup. So overall, very, very disappointing. You're right about that. I think the Yankees, what makes them so interesting last year, especially is how, what you alluded to won the sticky stuff, but then, also the trade deadline acquisitions and how the team kind of and therefore the fantasy values kept changing on the fly it was like okay luke voigt's gonna enter the year he's the defending home run champ struggle with some injuries anthony rizzo comes in he's barely playing by the end or aldous chapman begins the season he looks as good as he ever has he introduced a new splitter sticky stuff ban happens and suddenly you know he struggles to get three outs in a row so i think When it comes to the Yankees, like that was part of it. And I went through all the teams and I really don't know if there was a a better collection of more frustrating and hard to pin down, therefore, for 2022 players. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just from a pure baseball perspective, too, if you watch the team, there were so many hot streaks and then cold streaks, too. And they would run into a bunch of outs on the base paths and uh, in terms of double plays, not getting runners in from third base with with less than two outs. It was just an incredibly frustrating year all around. So uh, as we're going to talk about, you're right. I mean, just trying to figure out what what to do next with these players. I mean, trying to project guys like DJ LeMahieu and Glaber Torres moving forward. It's just good luck. I mean, we're going to try, but it's, it, it really is tough to do at this point. The Yankees have had this problem for a few years now of not just get, not getting, you know, talented hitters, but kind of just like lineup construction in general. That's a whole other topic for another day. I think it stems all the way back to the Stanton trade and that being somewhat of a mistake. But again, we won't get into that right now. Uh, for those of you listening, of course, this is Frank Stanfield, CBS Sports, fantasy baseball and fantasy football analyst. He hosts fantasy baseball today with Scott White and Chris Towers. I cannot tell you how invaluable of a resource that podcast is especially in season frank i know you are a grinder i I relate to you on a lot of levels like that but fantasy baseball when it's you know june and all your buddies are away for the weekend and you're we needing to you know comb through these box scores and it's, it's already been two months there's still four months to go it's a long season but frank does as good a job i think of anyone in the industry of keeping up to things on a day-to-day basis and that i think is one of the great inefficiencies that fantasy baseball players can have is keeping up with things during the season when, you know, everyone else is distracted. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words, man. And it's, you get it. Look, like you mentioned, it's a grind. It's every single day baseball is on. You take a couple of days off from looking at box scores or watching games or anything. And it it feels like you, you you fall behind by a month. It, It really is crazy. So I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, I mean, every night, I mean, we're staying up late. We're podcasting to make sure that it's out like early in the morning. So a lot of grinding throughout the course of the season, a lot of late nights, but I'm more of a night owl anyway. So it doesn't really bother me too much. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this past season was the first time doing the entire season, right? So I, I joined CBS in 2020 for the shortened season, kind of got a taste of it. And then this year, when you're doing it for six months straight, five podcasts per week, uh, it, it definitely adds up. And especially once we get into the summer months, you mentioned there's a lot going on, starting to study up for fantasy football too. So uh, it's a lot, but it, it was a fun first season and can't thank my guys enough. Scott White, Chris Towers. I mean, those guys are awesome to work with as well. So I, I do appreciate the kind words, my man. One of the things that I like about the baseball offseason, and this has been especially true this year with the lockout and there's just literally nothing going on, is it gives us a chance to kind of sit back and reflect and look at what happened and look at trends, trends that might have otherwise been hard to pick up on in real time because things are just happening every day. And I can't think of a more interesting name when it comes to the sticky stuff ban than Garrett Cole. I know that he is near and dear to your heart as a Yankee fan. He's the ace. You know, he's the one they paid the big bucks for to come in. And I'm a little bullish on Cole entering next season when when I really comb through and, and try to figure out what happened. I think the biggest thing you can say is he became less consistent, you know, post sticky stuff, but he still had some really high highs. Just kind of when you hear the name Garrett Cole thinking ahead to next year, you know what comes to mind. Yeah, I think another one that's kind of hard to to figure out what to project moving forward, right? Uh, as you know, we all saw last year, the first couple of months, he was absolutely amazing. And whether it was fair or not, I mean, he kind of became the face of sticky substances and all like the way that they handled press conferences. And I mean, he had to know these questions were coming and he was not prepared and it kind of made things look a lot worse than they actually were. So look, he's not the only one. We saw a spin race down across the league. Uh, but yeah, I think moving forward more than anything else, just look at what he's done so far in his Yankee career, right? So since the start of 2020, a 3.11 ERA, a 103 whip, 337 strikeouts, over 254 and a third innings pitch. I don't know that we are going to get a Garrett Cole that has a sub three ERA anymore, who's putting up like these incredibly gaudy numbers, you know, mid two ERA, sub one whip. I still think he's going to get you a lot of strikeouts, but... I think that's probably closer to the player he is now moving forward. I think we'll probably get some really dominant starts. Maybe he'll have some starts where he gets roughed around a little bit more. But overall, I think we're looking at an, an ace still, low threes ERA, low one whip, lots of strikeouts. I think he's worthy of being a borderline first-round pick in a 12-team league. I think he is a first-round pick if you play in 15-team leagues or anything deeper than that. Me, personally, I'm probably not going to be drafting him this year just because the way the player pool is shaping out it seems like the elite hitters, there are less of them than there have been in years past. And it feels like there's more of a mid-tier of starting pitchers that you can actually trust that are viable for fantasy than we have seen in years past. So because of that, I wouldn't be mad if anyone wanted to draft him. I still have him as my SP1. But for me personally, I'm probably going to look in another direction. Frank, I got to give you the caveat that I am a Red Sox fan and I live in Boston right by Fenway Park. And I was at the wild card game when Cole absolutely fell apart and I was... Absolutely loving it, but I am. I agree with you. I still. I. I want to be bullish on him entering next year. If I think of this from the psychology of other fantasy players, people almost like wanted Cole to fall apart after the sticky stuff was happening, and when those immediate returns weren't the same amazing Garrett Cole, I think a lot of people, you know, probably unfairly wrote him off as okay. He was just a product of the sticky stuff and all that, but we saw him bounce back. He had a stretch from. I'm just getting my dates right here, July 10th through September 1st, where he had a higher strikeout minus walk rate than he did in April 
and May. So again, he was less consistent once the band came in, but he still reached those same highs. And again, I think for me, that that is the way I would look at it. I've heard Scott mention that as well, just kind of, you know, the start to start consistency wasn't as there with Cole. And, and I, don't know, I think that's the best way to approach it. I also think the thing that you can look at him as possibly your SP one when comparing him, you know, to Jacob deGrom and Corbin Burns and, you know, whoever else is, he doesn't have workload concerns and he doesn't have as of right now, injury concerns. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. He's my SP one. I think when you look at the combination of floor versus ceiling coupled with track record, there really isn't anyone else that I, I believe deserves to be the SP one. Corbin Burns maybe has a higher ceiling than Garrett Cole at this point, but I think he also might have a lower floor just because we haven't really seen him do this for 180 plus innings or a full workload over the course of an entire season. So for that reason, I still have Garrett Cole as my SP one and, and something else, which, you know, we, we haven't mentioned yet, but the hamstring injury, right. That he dealt with in September. So you mentioned that stretch that he had, for basically two months where he looked amazing. I remember the start against the Houston Astros where he goes out there, complete game, double-digit strikeouts, and we're all just like, okay, Garrett Cole's back. And he was really, really good for a lot of those starts. So I think it is worth pointing out he was dealing with that hamstring injury. I think that's probably what hampered him a little bit in that playoff game, which unfortunately for me happened, and and fortunately for you uh, also happened. But yeah, I just think at this point, maybe not the ace-type numbers we've seen in the past, but still really, really, really good and worthy of being the SP1. He's someone who I feel like we can, you know, comb through that, look at this is when the sticky stuff ban happened. This is when the hamstring injury happened and, you know, more or less tell ourselves a story and figure it out. Someone who I struggle a lot more with in that regard is Glaber Torres. And he, you know, it's not just that he's fallen off. It's that he's such a different player. Like when he first came up, when it was him and Judge and Sanchez, as a Red Sox fan, Torres was the one I was most scared of in a big moment he it felt like he had the best hit tool it felt like he was going to be the most consistent performer whereas judge and stanton were kind of these all or nothing hitters and now that's kind of glaber but lately it's been more of the nothing than the all yeah he's he's so hard to figure out i I don't know that there is a single hitter on this team that that is harder to figure out right now than glaber torres uh you know he goes out and hits 38 home runs back in 2019 144 games that was with the juiced ball. And then <clears throat> since the start of 2020, just 12 home runs in 169 games. Think about that. 12 home runs, 169 games. That is, that's awful. I mean, his home run to fly ball rate ha- has just completely cratered. Something I've noticed with him in the plate discipline has been that he, he's being much more selective. And, and I think maybe even too passive at times, right? His swing percentage and his chase rates have both been way down compared to 2018 and 2019. And, you know, normally when looking at hitters, that's something that we like to see. But at the same time, if that's what was working for Glaber Torres, I think that he should get back to it. So, you know, we've seen hitters in the past like Javier Baez. That, that's not a skill that necessarily ages well. But if that's when Glaber Torres is at his best, chasing pitches outside the strike zone, making contact with those pitches, and <clears throat> overall just helping his his uh, his overall be- like offensive production, then that's what he needs to get back to doing. So I, I don't know that we'll ever get back to seeing you know, 30 plus home runs out of him You know, coming up that that wasn't really the scouting report for him. So you know, maybe he's more of like a 20 home run kind of guy. I will point out that it's a tiny sample size, but he played second base towards the end of last season, 19 games. He hit 300, two homers, two steals and 815 OPS. That still doesn't pace out very well over the course of a full season, but at least we saw the batting average, the OPS get back on track there a little bit for Glaber. So there's been a lot for him. I think playing second base probably helps him mentally as well. 
uh, overall, if, if he's someone that can hit 260 plus with 18 to 20 homers, eight to 10 steals, I think that that would be a solid player as of now, based on the ADP. I just don't think I'm going to get there with him. It's impossible for me also to look at Glaber through any other lens other than what's happened in MLB the past few seasons with the ball and everything, because obviously you said the the big, big home run year came in 2019, and that was kind of the height of the juiced ball era. If you look at Glaber's expected Woba on StatCast the past four seasons, it's virtually the same, 335, 337, 332, and 330. To me, what that and his two best seasons came when we think that the ball was a little more livelier. So I look at that and say, okay, he overperformed that ex-Woba mainly because of the ball. And that's taken a bit of a pessimistic view entering 2022. On the flip side of that, I think this is a guy who has burned a lot of fantasy players the past couple seasons. So people might be so far out on him that, you know, last year was the year where people really got burnt because it was okay. He was bad in 2020, but we'll expect him to mount back. And now it's, you know, the price seems really affordable. It is an affordable price. I, I haven't got there yet just because I just don't know what to expect. Like, can he still have a monster season? I think so. Like, if the entire lineup bounces back and he's hitting in the middle of that lineup, even if he only hits 20 home runs with 10 steals, the counting stats have the potential to be really, really good in that lineup. So I don't want to discount the possibility that, you know, at his ADP, which is 156 right now, that he doesn't return a huge profit. I, I think that's possible. But I just think the position that he plays right now shortstop eligibility, he'll probably he'll gain second base. Those positions are really, really deep. I mean, specifically shortstop, it's crazy this year. Like, I have 17 shortstops ranked inside my top 110 players. I, I've never, I can't remember a time that a position was that deep. So, uh, yeah, I think like in a Roto League, if you get him as your middle infielder or something like that, in a points league, he's probably not as valuable. But, yeah, I just, I haven't really found myself drafting any Glaber Torres yet. Another one when it comes to the ball is DJ LeMahieu, which you mentioned earlier in the show. And it gets a little trickier for him because he was still like incredibly good in 2020. If you look at the stat cast numbers, maybe, you know, he was really overperforming in 2020 and we should have seen the regression coming this past year again. But, you know, analyzing this stuff every day, it's never that simple as just, oh, you can blame it on the ball because for LeMahieu's case, you know, he also had the sports hernia it seems like he ran so hot in 2020 and this past season ran a little cold and dealt with the injury but my goodness we were drafting this guy in the first three rounds entering this past season and he's kind of a forgotten man and maybe you know he'll he'll probably never get back to again the highs of 2019 2020 but he's still in that yankee lineup if he hits at the top of the order he could still you know give you a good batting average and score a boatload of runs yeah i think when you look back last year and you consider just everything, age, skill set, how much he potentially overperformed. It was hard for us to tell at that time that he was overperforming his expected numbers. But once we got the news that they were going to dejuice the baseball, I think collectively as an industry, we probably should have lowered TJ LeMayhew. So I think it's just a bad job all around. The fact that he was going inside the top three rounds. And I say that as someone who actually drafted him in a few leagues. So it's not like I'm just throwing anyone else under the bus. It's, you know, I'm, I'm throwing myself under the bus here. As well, and it seems like again he was very much so helped out by that juice ball. You look at even in 2019, 2020, his average home run distance was one of the lowest in the league consistently. So you know, again, they dejuiced the ball, and the fact that he was dealing with that injury last year, we don't even know how long he was playing with it. You know, they just told us that you know after the season ended, 
that he was going to have the surgery for it. So I, it could have been something he was dealing with the entire season. We just, we really don't even know. So I would imagine he has to get better. Even the underlying numbers from last season, he had 268, his 282 expected batting average. That shows signs for positive regression. Plate discipline still really, really strong, leading off for what should be one of the best lineups in baseball. Uh, the triple position eligibility definitely helps as well. If you play in these draft and hold formats right now, uh, draft champions, DC 50s that are going on over at the NFBC, first, second, third base eligibility, especially third base. Third base is a weak position this year. I understand why people like DJ LeMahieu. I think there's, again, room for profit with him, but... The ADP, again, I just, I just don't love it. 122.3. So I haven't found myself drafting him. I just think there's a few other players there in terms of like speed or power that I'm looking at at that point. I like attacking starting pitchers, maybe some closers at that point in the draft. I just haven't found myself drafting G.J. LeMahieu yet, but I I feel like the, the cost is okay at that point. The Joey Gallo trade to me at the time was pretty polarizing because there was a lot of you know, Joey Gallo fans who said, oh, my God, Joey Gallo in Yankee Stadium, he's going to hit 30 homers in the final two months. And then there's a lot of people like myself who have been thinking about this lineup construction aspect of the Yankees roster the past few years. And I was like, OK, that's another guy who's going to you know, strike out a lot, not make contact at an ideal rate. But regardless of, you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, he did not perform as well once he got to the Yankees. He had a 139 wrc plus before the trade and the 95 wrc plus after the trade i could see a lot of people you know kind of forgetting about gallo because he ended slow and he he didn't interrupt with the yankees he's such a volatile player it's just the classic when he's coming off a down year bye, and when he's coming off you know a great year you know fade is it do you view it as kind of like that simple when it comes to someone like gallo I think this might be one of my flaws when playing fantasy baseball. I had so much time to watch Joey Gallo and he was so, so terrible with the Yankees that I, I, I just almost don't want anything to do with him because of just how bad he was for, for my team. So look, that's not how you're supposed to play fantasy. And I agree with you. You probably should be buying him off of his down years and selling him coming off of big years. There's something to be said for consistency and he's hit 209 or less in four of the past five seasons. He's a career 206 hitter. It's very clear to me at this point that his 253 batting average in 2019 was an outlier. So he's going to hit in the low 200s. He's going to give you a lot of pop. Players fall in love with that short porch, specifically left-handed power hitters. They fall in love with that short porch when they come to the Yankees. And that's the same thing that happened for Joey Gallo. His strikeout rate went up. His pull rate went way up. His fly ball rate also went way up once he joined the Yankees. So that was just a recipe of things just kind of coming together and his batting average cratered as a result of that. For me personally, I think if you play in a points league or a best ball league, that's probably where I want to target Joey Gallo most because you don't have to worry about the batting average completely sinking you. If you play in Roto, I, I can't do it. I, I just can't swallow that batting average hole unless you know going in that you're going to select him because you have to draft so much batting average early to be able to take what he's going to cost you in that specific category. So if you need power, sure. But again, like for me, you have to plan ahead. I think he's perfect in a best ball league where you could just get like these monster weeks where he hits whatever, three, four five home runs. That's interesting what you say about Roto. And I do think that's a very valid point about, you know, the batting average can be a sinkhole in a format like this, a format like that. I play you know, my, my most important league. My biggest money league is a head to head 
uh, categories league. And for me, that gives me such a lens into what's happening every day, what's happening every week. I struggle with players like Gallo or Miguel Sano or any of those volatile in-season ones, Brandon Lau, who any of those that you want to name, because I'm viewing at it as like, oh my God, this guy has killed me three weeks in a row. I kind of prefer prefer Gallo in a Roto League because in Roto, I kind of view you trusting a little bit more your season-long projections, your preseason projections, you know, what you think is going to happen the rest of the way in that. And my, my only advice is, is if you do end up with, if you are a Gallo person or a Brandon Lau or Miguel Sano, any of those guys, just set it and forget it. It's like buying Bitcoin, like right now, just like <laughs> buy it. Don't look at it again. And because you're else you'll drive yourself nuts. If, if he starts poorly, you start benching him and then you miss out on, you know, six homers in one week sort of thing. No, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And it's a good point. I mean, in Roto, it's whatever he gives you by the end of the season. Like, again, there's something to be said for the consistency there. Not like he's not consistent on a weekly basis, but by the end of the year, you know what he's going to give you. So uh, it's a really good point that you bring up. It's just, you know, if you draft him, if you play in like a standalone Roto League, you can almost punt batting average and, and you know, you can perform everywhere else and you can still win your league. And head head categories league, I guess it's the same thing, right? Like if you draft him, you can just punt batting average and, and kind of take it from there. But just keep that in mind when drafting Joey Gallo is that he's going to pull you down. I think if I was writing, you know, an article right now of over the type thing of like players who could rise in spring training, I think Luke Voigt is someone like that because right now, the, a lot of people to me are kind of expecting the Yankees to bring in another first baseman. Who knows? The lockout could end and they could bring in Freddie Freeman and trade Luke Voigt and that's that. But in that case, you know, a trade might be good for Voigt. He... It was such an interesting situation. It seemed like they were really unhappy with him and didn't want to commit to him. I know he struggled with injuries, but bringing in Rizzo and then they had the whole thing like, what are we going to do now? Is, is Gallo or Judge going to be playing center field? They can, they can only DH one person. It was hurting their defense. It was kind of a mess down the stretch. This is still a guy who led the majors and homers in uh, the short in 2020 season. Could be worth betting on a bounce back if the Yankees you give him the the full-time first base job i would recommend not drafting this early i mean i'm doing it because i'm a madman but if you are drafting then i agree with you i i think that this is he has the potential of luke void to be one of the bigger steals right now his adp is 257 and if he is still on the yankees entering the season for month for march his adp is going to be 100 spots higher than this he'll be going inside you know the top 160 top 175 Something like that. We've seen the power before, and obviously in Yankee Stadium with that lineup, the the power production, the run production could be fantastic. It's also a matter of him staying healthy. I mean, he played 56 of 60 games in 2020, and we saw what his upside could be when he plays all those games. But outside of that, he really hasn't been able to stay healthy for the entirety of a season. So personally, as a Yankee fan, I would say it's more than a 50% chance that they do bring in a first baseman, whether it's trading for Olsen, signing Freddie Freeman, signing Anthony Rizzo. I think they value that left-handed bat, uh, value getting a left-handed bat. I think they value a better defender than Luke Boyd as well. So for all those reasons, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he's going to be their starter. He's, you know, he'll either be on the bench or he'll be traded somewhere else. But yeah, if you're drafting right now, ADP 257, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's a steal in my opinion. I like that thought process that you have. And again, it's only January 25th at the time of this recording. So it's so far out. We are talking about some individual players this show, but this far out and really just in general, I think we put so much effort into our individual player analysis as the fantasy baseball community. And we don't do enough, you know, bigger picture 
you know, macro level analysis and game theory analysis. And, and yes, Voight is someone who, if you are drafting now for whatever reason, or you're in a dynasty league that, you know, now could be the time to acquire him and, and going off that idea of game theory and just kind of, you know, not worrying so much about uh, the micro takes of a player, but, but more so just thinking bigger picture, Giancarlo Stanton last year, I was a proponent of him similar to kind of Chris Towers. I have the thing where I always want to buy the injury discount. I know you guys discuss that a lot on your show. And last year was the cheapest he was ever going to be. And he kind of worked out, you know, he didn't erupt like MVP level Stanton, but he mostly stayed healthy. You know, he, he gave you 35 homers and the, you know, there was a lot of hot streaks mixed in there. To me, it's just a classic similar to Vado or sorry, similar to Gallo, where if you think that he is that injury prone right now, you're paying a premium for him because he's coming off a healthy season. To me, it's kind of a red flag in that sense. Yeah, I was all over him last year. The ADP was around 130, and now he's going just inside the top 100 picks so far. I I still don't really mind it because I think the further you get into your draft, if if you need power later on in your draft, you're, you'll be able to get it, but it's going to come at a cost, again, of your batting average. So someone like Joey Gallo comes to mind, and there are a lot of hitters like that where you know they're going to provide low batting average but should be able to give you some pop. Stanton bounced back last year. I mean, 273 batting average, 35 home runs, 97 RBI. The run scored really low. That's just an overall look at their team and, and how bad they were. He still walks quite a bit, so I would imagine those runs to bounce back can he stay healthy? I mean, I mean, that's the biggest question, right? He played 139 games. That was his most since 2018. So if you're setting the bar there, I probably would still say he goes slightly under. But on a per-game basis, he's going to be really, really good and still provide a lot of power. So I, I really don't mind the the early ADP here with him. But you just have to factor in. I think he'll, you know, he'll miss 30-ish games, 20 to 30 at least. And then I think whatever whatever you get out of that, you just... Just kind of take it and keep moving. The last player I want to discuss and just get your thoughts on, and you know, especially from a Yankee fan, if he's in danger of losing the closer role at any point this season, is Araldus Chapman. In his first 21 innings, he had a 41 K minus walk rate. And then his final 35 and the third innings, it was all the way down to 16.8. Obviously, the sticky stuff he struggled with, whereas we saw a lot of pitchers, especially starting pitchers, eventually kind of bounce back. We never really saw that with Chapman last year. He's kind of been someone, a lot of analysts has pegged as a bit of a bust candidate for a couple of years now. The older he gets, can he maintain the velocity? He was as good as ever to start 2021, and it couldn't have fallen apart any worse. It, it, was, it was truly tragic for people who were invested in him, like myself. Yeah, so I fully believe that this is sticky stuff related. Again, we know that Garrett Cole was using it. We know that a lot of people in baseball were using it. So it's obvious that it was in the Yankee clubhouse. And as a result, Chapman's control is always bad. 6.1 walks per nine. I mean, that is, I mean, we're talking about one of the worst in baseball, right? So, I mean, that just got completely out of control. You mentioned what he did early on in the season. So first two months, 0.45 ERA, 0.75 whip. Final four months. So from June 1st on, when they start cracking down on the sticky stuff, 4.95 ERA, 1.62 whip. And I looked into, I compared relievers from the first two months to the final four months. He had the third biggest drop in K minus walk rate among pitchers with at least 10 innings pitched on both sides, two months versus the four months. So the third biggest drop in K minus walk rate, it was, 
undoubtedly, in my opinion, it was related to sticky stuff, and and I'm very scared. And and they have a reliever behind him in Jonathan Loisega, who I think is very capable. So where Chapman's being drafted, a top five, six closer right now, there's already a lot of volatility with that position. I don't really want to take any chances with him. My first bus column is out on CBSSports.com, and a role as Chapman is in it. So I'm there with you. I'm pretty scared. I won't be drafting him at his cost. Not every league is like the NFBC, of course, but we've seen how early that the closers are going in that in that format. And and yeah, you know, someone someone like Aroldis Chapman just has so much risk potential there. If he was going a lot later, you you could pitch the case for it that if things run right for him to start 2022, that he could end up being a great value, especially with the premium on closers. Because as of now, that is a good candidate for a bus column. You can check that out, like Frank said, on CBSSports.com, and you can listen to Frank with Scott White and Chris Towers at Fantasy Baseball today. I, I just can't recommend their show enough, obviously, during the offseason, but but in-season, man, it, it, is, it is so impressive how you guys go at it night after night. And if you ever, you know, miss a day or something, you got things going on and you're playing fantasy baseball, you can get caught up right away with that show. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it, man. I encourage everyone to go check it out. We're, we're probably going to start ramping up to four podcasts per, per week here in February. And if you don't have enough time to listen to it in a full hour podcast, we have the five hour version as well. Fantasy baseball today in five. So uh, yeah, we're going to ramp up to four times by March will be five. And then in season, we're doing it, you know, Sunday through Thursday night. It'll be in your feed Monday through Friday. Uh, thanks for having me, man. This was great. 